Welcome back. This is the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. Apparently, the NBA draft is coming up two days away. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon leading up to the draft are the best slash worst days of the year. It's you know We love when these new rumors pop up, even though we know it's bullshit. It, it's like it's like the, the WWF where you know it's fake and you still love it. And for those who follow the draft, you know these rumors, the buzz, it's so exciting, even though we know it's mostly nonsense. Anyway, the top three appeared to be set You know, 10 minutes ago. ESPN's John Gavoni then reports the Knicks will work out Darius Garland last minute, and they'd seriously consider taking him at number three. I'm not reading too much into it. There's still a lot of question marks to break down, and I brought a smart man on the podcast to help sort through them. Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. Jay Wu, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. Crazy week, hey. as you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, this is a, a hectic week. Um, and let's just get right into it. The big story so far today, and you know, by the time we hang up on this, another one will probably emerge. But uh, the big story today is Darius Garland working out for the Knicks last minute. I mean, this guy, uh, he plays four games, and his stock just explodes. Uh, you know, the, the less you play the more they seem to love you. What do you make of Garland working out for the Knicks? You buy it, just smoke? Um, I mean, I think it's just the Knicks doing their due diligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, I wouldn't necessarily read it as they are taking him. I think it's probably, you know, they're trying to figure out what Memphis is going to do. They want to be sure what Memphis is going to do and they want to have options. Uh, I think it could also be, uh, you know, trying to do some of the market for that pick. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, you saw it came out. I think uh, John Roney had that uh, Atlanta tried to come up for three. Uh, you know, I know for sure Atlanta's trying to come up. That's what, you know, that's what I've heard. They've been aggressive about it. So, you know, look, if you if you, if you factor that in and you factor in, well, hey, Atlanta, maybe they're trying to come up. Well, then maybe, you know, the next one, you know, have options with, you know, three. So, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into it yet, but I do think, you know, two, three, four, you know, we think it's set, but I don't think it's like for sure set. That, right. I mean, for, for Garland's camp, it's like if I can get a workout with the Knicks, well, of course, it would be great to go number three. But the buzz that's going to generate, the interest that's going to generate from other teams looking to move up, it kind of reduces his chances, I think, of slipping maybe to, to number seven or so. Um, Garland is just, man, the, the buzz is crazy with him. And uh, you talk to a lot of guys, some guys never saw it. You know, before the season, Garland was not such a sexy prospect. This draft was considered weak. He was like a late lottery guy, played a couple good games early on, although not against anybody noteworthy. Um, and now there's just so much love for him. Why do you think there is so much love for him? What is it about Darius Garland? Or is it just the case of this draft sucks and we need someone else to talk about? Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't think he – for me, it's never really changed. I mean, I just – you know, I, I think he – there's obviously some appeal there. I mean, there's not a lot of guys with, you know, real upside in terms of, you know, maybe this guy becomes something. And I think that's probably what it's coming from. Um, you know, four games, it's enough to show some of what he can do. Um, you know, I mean, personally, I don't think I would do it that high. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you, I understand why the conversation is that way. Um, I mean, I, I could see someone coming up to four to get him just out of need because, again, whether it's a good draft or a bad draft, I mean, once you get to this time of the year, it just becomes about how can you address needs of what you have for teams. And it's not – it no longer becomes about is this guy good enough? It becomes, you know, where can we – how can we make the best decision and where is that decision going to happen? And so I think that's why, you know, you're seeing teams saying, oh, hey, maybe, maybe this is the best answer. You know, maybe we don't like where we are further down. Maybe we'll give up something just to get get up and get him. So, like, I, you know, I, I would keep an eye on number four. I think number four is the pick that's likely to move, but – uh, you know, I, I don't know about 
two and three if they can get up right. if Atlanta or someone can get up that high. For the Knicks, do you think that Barrett is just, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that I'd bet a million dollars they're going to take Barrett. Do you think that's the obvious play that they have to make? Um, I mean, if he's there, I expect they'll take him. I mean, in their situation, I would I would go Barrett. I mean, I think for me, it's close between Barrett and Culver. Uh, but from you know, if you just look at where New York is, they really need scoring. You know, they need someone who they hope will develop into, you know, someone who can help carry the offense. And the, the offense has really been, you know, yeah. pretty not ideal, right? So, you know, if you're looking at Barrett, I mean, he has the best chance of the guys available at three, assuming Morant doesn't fall. You know, I mean, you take one of those two guys, but you know, I mean, I, I would, you know, I'm not going to criticize New York for, for taking Barrett. Right. I think if the Knicks didn't take Barrett and Barrett turned out to be, you know, the star player, it's a fireable offense. You know, if they take Barrett and he's not that great, well, it's like, well, everybody had Barrett top three, so tough to knock them too much. Now this number four pick, I mean, who, I don't know who's going to, who's going to actually be making it. I would bet against the Pelicans making it right. I mean, I don't know if they're going to trade back, trade out. Uh, like you said, Gavoni today reported eight and 10. Do you think if you're the Pelicans, you take that deal eight and 10 for number four? Um, I mean, if it's me, I would take that. Just if you just look at where they are um, from, from their perspective, you know, you just got all this stuff from the Lakers. Uh, you know, if you assume you're keeping it, then, you know, there's not really a need you have to address. Uh, the question of best player available at four isn't necessarily clear. Uh, and, you know, f- for me, if I'm them, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, hey, uh, you know, how can I? I mean, look, they've already made out really well in terms of, you know, getting all these picks from the Lakers. Uh, I think, you know, whatever you can do to strengthen that base of uh, of assets, I think is, is probably smart if there's no one you love there. I mean, if they go down, if they go down eight and 10, you know, I think that's totally uh, defensible and makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, if it's me, maybe I would ask for one lottery pick in this year's draft and maybe like a future protected first. Like, you know, I don't know how they'll do that. And, you know, you've seen them, you know, they're, they were obviously were creative with LA. So I think they'll probably, you know, try to make sure they get what they want. Uh, Cause if it's me and I'm new ones, I'm, I'm buying up more long-term stuff uh, rather than short-term if I can. Uh, but I, I mean, I would expect they move it. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously a lot of teams are getting mentioned the number four, but I, I don't see how, Unless someone is going to put a really, really good player on the table, I don't see how it's not Atlanta with the most ammo to get that pick. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm doing these mock drafts right now, and at this point, I'm just trying to predict number four who's going to actually make that pick. Um, and, and I don't expect it to be New Orleans. And if it is Atlanta, you got to assume that they're going to trade up for Jared Culver. So you just met. You mentioned earlier you put Culver and Barrett in a similar tier, or, or it's pretty close. Um, do you think that's? I mean, I guess that's the guy if you're Atlanta, who you who you target if you do move yeah, up. Yeah, right? I mean, so if you look at where the Hawks are, I mean, look, if they're serious about coming up to three, then they have to be targeting RJ. Um, mm-hmm. Just putting those two things together, right? I mean, uh, if they come up to four, then I think it's Culver or it's Hunter. I've heard both guys link with them. Um, you know, for me, it's too high for Hunter, but I think you know if maybe if if they're convinced that. Uh, the Cavs are going to take Hunter at five, which I think is possible. You know, then maybe it's like, oh, well, maybe we have to get in front of him to take to take him. Um, so, I mean, my guess is if they get to four, it's going to be. I mean, obviously they're not going to take a guard because they have Trey Young. So, uh, you know, yeah, I would look at look at Hunter. I'd look at Culver. I'm not entirely 100 percent sure which one it would be, but it's going to be one of those two. Right. So at this point, I'm I'm guessing the deal gets done. I mean, Atlanta is probably not going to pick three times in the top 20. So somehow they're going to try and manage to, to package two of those picks and move up. My guess right now would be Atlanta. I, I totally buy into that report. Somehow gets to number four. 
uh, and let's say they take Culver. So now Darius Garland's there, number five for Cleveland. And on paper, I mean, it makes little sense. Um, Garland in in Collins Sexton, but as we always talk about, you got to take the best player available. Do you think the Cavs would then, you know, opt for Darius Garland as the best guy available, or do you think they would try and go with more of the fit? You know, uh, like you mentioned, Hunter probably fits better based on that roster, but that roster stinks. It's kind of blank. Well, I mean, if I'm if I'm Cleveland, and all that stuff just happened, uh, I mean, if, if there's a market for Garland, like there seems to be, then mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm if I'm at five, then I would think about trading down. Uh, right. I just think that it's a chain reaction that has to happen. Uh, they don't really need Darius Garland at all. Uh, so, I mean, if it were me, I mean, if, if I'm at five and I'm Cleveland, I would just take Culver if he if he doesn't go at four. Um, if, if it's if it's Hunter or if it's one of the guards, then I think you got to weigh the options. But they ultimately they might say, hey, you know, I think we're just maybe we're comfortable with Hunter. We'll just take him. Um, but I mean, I think if you're at five, I think you do have to think about, you know, what is, you know, if there's such a market for these guys, people trying to come up, you know, then is there anyone who like, if Garland's on the board, who can we trade down with? And I think that's something that would make sense. How far apart do you have Garland and Kobe White? I have White ahead of Garland. Um, but I mean, it's, it's close. I just, I I think White's a safer pick. Like I, I I like just the, the size factor with White. I like the, I trust his three point shooting. Uh, I think you, uh, if you look at a lot of the guards who are valuable right now, it's the ones who can defend both guard spots. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I can see White playing with a lot of different lineups. Uh, you know, obviously his stock is probably a little bit inflated just by the way this draft is too, uh, which is, but that's okay. I mean, again, it's all relative is how the market's going to operate. So I, I think, you know, I like Kobe. I think there's more playmaking that he'll, you know, figure out. I think he does have some feel with that. And he hasn't been playing point guard for as long as some of these other guys either. So. Uh, you know, I like him. I think he can. I mean, look, if Cleveland took him, I don't think he's a great fit with Sexton, but like at least you can play off of Sexton. I don't know if they'll do that, but just just theoretically, right? So I, I, that's what I like about White is I just I like the, you know, the malleability of his uh, what he brings. Yeah, I, I I like White too. I mean, I I have them so close, uh, one after another on the big board, and honestly, whether one's seven or eight or eight versus seven, really no difference. Um, tough to really. Uh, split hairs and decide who's the better prospect right now. But like you said, um, White is the more versatile guy. You could play him off the ball. He was one of the best spot-up players in the country this year. Um, and, and that brings you down to Phoenix. So I'm going to guess, based on all the interest that's showing in Garland, that he won't be there for Phoenix. And it's pretty unclear whether Phoenix likes Garland or not. There's been conflicting reports. But I'm going to guess right now that Garland is gone. To what team? I don't know. And to what pick between four and five? Probably not three. I don't know. But Kobe White's there at number six. You, I mean, for the, for Phoenix, the goal is to to probably trade that pick for a veteran. I don't think they're going to get anybody equal value. To, I don't think they're going to get a, a really good quality starting point guard for number six overall. So do you think they end up sticking, A, the Phoenix Suns, and, and B, do you think they end up taking uh, one of those guards who's ever left? Um, I mean, I think – if you look at their situation, I mean, maybe they try to go sign D'Angelo Russell. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe that's something they explore. I mean, you know, I, I think the, the, the indication for sure is that they'll probably prefer to not have a rookie point guard next year. Uh, what that means, you know, that can manifest in different ways. Uh, I mean, if Phoenix wants to get in on Mike Conley, I'm sure if they said, hey, we'll offer number six for in some type of Conley package, I'm sure that that would get them, you know, on the table. Uh, I don't know if I would do that if I'm them, but, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's something they think about. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think Jarrett Culver will get past them. Um, you know, I, I think for them, you know, it just ends up being who do you think is the best player of these guys. But 
know, if they walk out with any of the guards, I think it's probably a win uh, just because it's been such a, a struggle for them. Uh, just, just to, you know, solve the point guard position. Like Anthony Mountain was not the solution. Like, I don't know why people thought that was going to be the case. Uh, so. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot about um, D'Angelo Russell as a possible free agent option for Phoenix. Um, Chicago, number seven, it seems like they're going to just take whoever falls to them. Um, it, it's tough to say it's going to be Hunter. Uh, where are you at with Hunter versus Reddish? Because if those are the two guys left for Chicago, you got one guy who is a little bit younger um, I think the perception is that uh, Reddish would have a little more upside, whereas Hunter is the safer play. You know what you're going to get with him. If it comes down to if those guards are gone and Chicago is looking at Hunter versus Reddish, what do you think the play is? I think they'll take Hunter. Uh, I, I would expect him to be gone, but you know, by this pick. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I, I personally just I don't think I love Reddish enough to just do it that high. Uh, I just I, he scares me. Uh, and if you just if you look at where the Bulls are, I mean, assuming that I mean, if their roster were to stay constant, I mean, they they don't have to hit a home run necessarily at seven. Like you might not find a star, um, but they just need to get someone who they can put in the mix. Um, and they they do have some talent. They don't have you know they're still looking for the guy who's going to be the star for them. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's on the roster right now, but they have good players. Like you know, I think there's a foundation in Chicago, and you know, if you put Hunter in there, you know, he'll be good with Markin, and I'll give you some defensive cover. I don't I don't think it, you know I don't think it's a bad pick. I mean. I'm not a huge hunter guy, uh, but this is probably the startup where I would consider him. Um, I just I couldn't. I, I don't think I could talk myself into Reddish there from Chicago. Yeah, Reddish is so interesting. It's some people are think that like he's completely undervalued, and some people think he's completely overvalued. Uh, and I'm not really sure where I fall. But I just something about Hunter, like I, like you said, you you didn't love him, but at the, that's that's at that point in the draft, you know, it's okay to take him. I just I just see like his upside being, you know, a, a a low level starter or, or a good reserve, I'd almost rather just take the chance that Reddish just had a really tough time adjusting at Duke. And at the same time, it's hard to take a guy who shot 35% as a fourth option. You'd think being a fourth option at Duke, you'd get high percentage looks and he still managed to shoot 35%. So obvious red flags and still those red flags from high school where we talked about, does he have the passion and the motor and the sense of urgency and uh, his impact wavered, and if he couldn't make an impact as a fourth guy at Duke, how's he going to do it in the NBA? Um, but I don't know. There's something about Hunter is just so boring, such a blah pick for me. I'd rather take a chance on Reddish. But at the same time, uh, I certainly feel safer knowing that Hunter is a guy uh, who I can bank on for some for some defensive versatility and to make some open shots. So tough call there. Uh, and then at number eight, again, now we don't know who's going to be picking for a uh, for the Hawks at number eight. So it's tough to really have too deep of a conversation there. And we already talked about Atlanta. How about we talk about some players specific who are in that late lottery range, guys who got invited to the green room. Um, and it seems like Nazir Little has really helped himself during this pre-draft process, which was basically built for players like him, right? Guys who weren't able to showcase their full skill set at college. And then they can show up in an empty gym and show what they can really do against nobody. But he's, Improving his stock, I think, with interviews, with shooting drills. I think he can go as high as number nine to the Washington Wizards. I personally don't like Little that much. I actually have him probably around number 20 on my board. But uh, And this draft, the difference between number 10 and number 20, I don't think is significant. And guys seem to be willing to to want to give him a chance. So where do you stand on Little? Where would you take him? Where do you think he winds up? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with everything you just said, to be honest. Um, like the vibe I get is different with him. Uh, I don't think he'll go this high. Um, like I, my guess is that he'll go in the teens. It could be the high teens. It could be the low teens. But 
Mm-hmm. That's my guess as to where he goes. I think like your gut on him is probably closer to how I feel. Uh, I wouldn't do it this high. I just like it, it's sort of the same thing with Reddish. It's just like I know there's some talent there, but sometimes when it's just you watch and it's just like you know you try to eliminate whatever pre-held conception preconceptions we had coming into the season, and it's just like you know you know the tools are there, but it just you can't. You know, he, for me, he's more in the group of guys who are projects. Like I, I'm not going to take him at eight or nine or ten. And, Say this is a guy I can plug in right now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my guess is that he he ends up back in that that teens area, starting at thirteen down to like nineteen. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense. Uh, he's just uh, he's an interesting guy, and, and I think it also comes down to the fact that there's just not a lot of exciting players uh, in this draft. And you look at some of the other guys. You know, PJ Washington, safe pick. I think people seem pretty safe on Hero, who I also want to talk about in a second. But uh, I think some of these guys who had crappy seasons may just benefit in this draft because there's nobody who stands out as that can't miss player. Tyler Hero is another guy who seems to be rising, was one of the first guys to get a green room invite, was pretty inconsistent all season, shot 35% from three, and that's supposed to be his big specialty skill. Uh, But he also shot 93% from the line. And I think if you use the eye test, you can tell that Hero can just really knock down shots. And again, these workouts were tailor-made for a guy like, uh, like Hero. So what's your take on Hero? Who's a who's a good fit? Where do you think he winds up? Yeah, my gut is he ends up in the late lottery. Um, I don't think he'll like he could, he could go in that twelve to fourteen. Uh, maybe Miami, maybe Boston, maybe uh, Orlando, Detroit. I mean, those are probably the teams that I would look at for him. Uh, I just think it's not necessarily the percentage, but it's just the type of shots he can hit that I've seen him hit over the years. Um, there's just if, if you just think about obviously there's such a premium on shooting in the draft every year there is mm-hmm. you know those are the guys that end up getting helped when teams are actually like oh shit who do we pick and they know they have a need for for shooting uh but he's one of the guys who can shoot and actually does, you know is young enough and there's some upside that he can play a little bit off the dribble like there's enough there that you understand why i think you know he's he uh has sort of risen over the course of however many months i mean you know, fourth season, I thought he'd be a first-round pick. I thought he'd sneak in. I did, but I thought he was more of a twenties guy, and you know, I think he's ended up you know going to go a little higher than that. Uh, and I understand why for sure. I mean, again, it's just the the perimeter scoring with upside. That combination is is not you know common, especially in this draft class. Yeah, I mean, I think teams are going to look at Hero and be like, if Landry Shamit could do what he did last year and add value right away, I think Tyler Hero could do that. And Hero's younger and has a little more upside. And I've been I've been a little split on here out throughout the season, but I feel pretty good that he's going to be able to uh, eventually make those open shots that that find him in the offense. And uh, he's got a pretty good reputation in terms of his work ethic and one of those gym rats who really loves the game. So yeah, I, I totally think he, I think he's going to wind up in the lottery range. Um, I honestly say that the Celtics are his floor at this point, but uh, we'll see. He's another guy who's definitely helped himself. One guy who has not helped himself is Kevin Porter Jr. And uh, Porter Jr. is a guy who uh, I fell in love with early in the season. Then he got injured. Then he got suspended. Then he came back and he appeared. He disappeared. He appeared. He disappeared. Uh, and we kind of just thought that during the pre-draft process, during these these workouts, that you know you'd forget what he did during the season because he's got that six-six perfect two-guard body. He's got a good-looking jumper. He, he can shoot off the dribble and create step backs and all that. Uh, and in this draft, you know you can get some upside with Porter late and that, that may hold some value, but sounds like he's slipping. He didn't get an invite to the green room. I talked to a team yesterday who just really questions his approach and maturity. And that's kind of what everyone's been saying all season. I kind of always thought that was overblown. His coaches 
um, are actually surprised that he didn't get an invite to the green room. Where do you stand on Kevin Porter Jr.? Yeah, you know, I, I won't be shocked. I mean, I think his range probably starts at the back end of the lottery. I don't know if it's where he goes. I, I feel like, you know, those the Celtics picks at 20 and 22, if they keep those, I mean, I feel like that's it seems like a good fit. Um, you know, if he does make it that far down, I mean, at some point you just have to do it. And, and like, look, I know there's always concerns and, and whatever. And like, you know, I know some about some of the information with that, whatever, but like, I don't think he's a bad guy. It's just, you have to, you know, ensure that you know, the transition is smooth. You want to try to insulate him with veterans and sort of give him an example to follow. And that's something that, again, I, I give the benefit of the doubt because it's not like he's had a lot of structure, uh, you know, coming up with basketball. Right. And it's like USC wasn't exactly running a Princeton offense. I mean, they were kind of rolling the balls out. And so like, right. you know, I mean, all these things are, are factors and, you know, I, I get why it's tricky. You have to sell your coach on it. You know, we're going to try to you know, bring this guy along, but at the same time, I think if you're patient, you know, it's why not? I mean, in this, this, this draft, again, not a lot of guys who can sort of do the things he does off the, off the dribble. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's the, the no green room, but is probably just a hedge in case he does fall, you know, you don't want to put him on TV or whatever. And I think that's fair. Uh, but <laughs> my guys just he'll go somewhere in the top 20. Like, I, I don't know if he'll fall too far, uh, but you know, not, not going to be a top 10, top 10 guy at this point. Uh, right. But there, there is definitely interest and people understand the risk and rewards. And look, bottom line, I mean, we've seen guys in this mold uh, have success in the day before, you know, and guys have to get their lives together and guys are, these are young people we're talking about. And, uh, you know, I mean, there are guys who think, do figure it out and do end up, you know, turning out fine. So, you know, it's easier for me to sell myself on that than like a bull bull where we don't know what even translates. You know, at least with Porter, we know, you know, there's some precursor with, you know, situations like this that have turned out into NBA careers. Speaking of bull bull, I mean, you, we've both gotten, we've talked about bull. We, we've seen him together since he was in high school. And um, I already know your take, or at least we haven't talked about it during the year. We talked about it when he played. Uh, through nine games before he fractured his foot. Um, and, and of course he's going to have, you know, this pro day where he's working out against nobody and he's going to, going to impress people with his shooting and his fluidity and his seven, two size. And uh, it gives a pretty good interview. Uh, where do you, first off, I, I mean, I already know your take on ball, but, but where do you think he goes? Where do you think he's worth taking in this draft? Yeah. His range, I would guess his range is somewhere between like 14 and, 20 like late 20s like 26 i don't think he'll, i don't know if he makes it to the bottom end my guess is somewhere in the teens like that i don't know like 18 to 23 uh and i think it's fine at that point like i don't know if i do it you know you know i've always been a little bit skeptical or whatever but um i mean i think someone will feel comfortable enough to just be like yeah what do we have to lose at this point uh and it's not like mm-hmm. again once you get to that point of the draft it's not like it's a huge financial investment uh you know you can try it uh, you know, if, if he needs more time with the foot, you don't have to rush him back. Um, but that that's sort of my guess as to what it'll be. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see. He was the 20th guy invited to the green room. The Celtics have the 20th pick. They also have three picks in the first round. be interesting to see if Bull Bull winds up in Boston. I'm just trying to look for play, like teams that he'd be a good fit with. I mean, Oklahoma City, he'd give them a completely different look. I do buy his shooting. I mean, I think if he could stay on the floor, he can add some value as a, as a seven-footer who could just stand out there and knock down jumpers. But, uh, man, those legs are so skinny. I just don't know how he's going to take contact, how he's going to last for 82 games year after year. He, he's such an, an interesting uh, evaluation for teams. How about another guy, T. Stiebel? So Stiebel doesn't show up to the NBA Combine, um, and then he kind of goes dark during this whole workout process. I haven't heard a word on Thibel, no workouts, no peep, uh, nothing. I guess we assume he has a promise from some team. Um, 
I've been trying to do some, you know, investigating going down these teams. Is anyone not working anybody out? I haven't heard much about the Thunder working anyone out. Uh, where, where do you think Thibel ends up? You know, somewhere in the twenties. Is that what we just assume that he's got a promise? Yeah, I think it's fair to assume that. I mean, I don't know which which team it is. I mean, there's been different rumors going around, um, but. You know, I, I would guess it's somewhere in the twenties. I mean, they have teams like they have shut him down from start to finish. Uh, so you know, that's that's something. Um, it, um, you know, with him, I think it's justifiable. You know, in the twenties, um, right? I mean, you know, if you buy the defense being an elite thing, you know, how many guys you have truly elite things that can sell uh, in the draft, right? So I, I get that. Yeah, Thibel. I mean, he's he's considered that defensive specialist. Um, even though we play in the zone and we haven't really seen him play much man to man, but uh, three steals and two blocks a game is, is pretty impressive for a six, five guard definitely has that anticipation, those instincts. And I think if he can make enough jump shots uh, and he lands with the right team who gives him that opportunity to play to his strengths, he could be a nice steal. Uh, although if he lands with the wrong team, uh, I'm not so sure, but he's going to be an interesting guy. I mean, he's really completely gone. I, mean, I haven't heard a peep from from Thibel, all pre-draft process. Here's a guy that I, I think we're both split on, and, and um, you know we were at the NBA Combine, and I know that you kind of weren't in love with Grant Williams um, based on his performances, and he certainly has question marks, and it seems like he's no lock to go in the first round, uh, but myself and others have him, at, grade him as a, a mid-first rounder. Uh, I don't know exactly where you have him. I, I didn't check to see your latest board. But what's your take on on Grant Williams? Where do you think he should go? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I like him in the 30s. Like, I would just do it at that point. Because, like, you know you're getting a good guy. You know, you know that there's something there. You know he knows how to play. And, like, I mean, there there are serious concerns just in terms of, like, you know, can he guard in the perimeter? I don't think so. Like, can he shoot well enough? I don't know. It's like, it seems like, the, in, to me, this seems like a case where he's clearly a very, very good college player. Uh, very high IQ player, you know, the intangible stuff I don't question, but it's like, you know, at some point, you know, when you get to the NBA, I mean, guys who are elite at those things, it becomes a different question at the next level. And it's like, is he really, you know, that high level of a field guy that he's suddenly going to be one of the smartest players in the NBA? And is that going to be enough for him to stick? Mm-hmm. Like, I just think you have to ask these questions because, you know, I saw him this year I think, at least two times. It might have been three. I think it was, I think it might have been, I don't know, it was two or three. But anyway, you know, I saw him enough. Um, he was here in New York and Tennessee was here like around Thanksgiving, I think. And like, they were playing good teams. They played Louisville and I forget what it was, but like, can they play Kansas? It was Tennessee and Kansas. And it's like, he's in foul trouble in these games. I worry about some of the size stuff. Like, I think he was having trouble with like Dedrick Lawson. And it's just like, I don't, I just don't know if it all adds up to me. And that's why to me, he's not a mm-hmm. first rounder. Uh, but in the thirties, I would do it just cause I'd be willing to find out. Uh, but I just, I just don't think that we can assume enough of these things translate. I mean, it's, it's hard to be a six, seven power forward who, you know, with who can only go one position. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little more uh, optimistic about his defensive outlook. I, I just, I, I, you're right. You know, I'm on paper. So you, you think he can guard wings? I think he can guard certain wings, and I just think that he he compensates for that lack of speed with just really good anticipation. He, he kind of knows what move you're going to make before you make it, and um, some of the stuff just doesn't show up on box scores. Yeah, he did have some trouble with some of the the more athletic guys and the longer guys, and. He weighed, uh, he was 6'7", but he really improved his body, 5.4% body fat. And like you said, he's just a guy I want to, just a guy I want to bet on. And I don't really have any great basketball reasons in terms of his skill set. Although I do think he does a good job of creating separation for himself in the post. Not like he's going to be a big scorer and I wouldn't expect him to ever average more than, you know, 12 points a game, but 
I don't know. I just find I, she's just one of those human beings that I want to bet on and and uh, find a way to carve out an NBA career. Right. So so here my question then would be. So if he's just like okay defensively, then so you you really think he's going to bring enough offensively too to justify like a mid first round grade? Like that's just I'm not trying to like hammer you. I just want to like understand what you're. No, saying. hammer away. I mean, I want. I I think that he's going to be a good role player. That's just what I see. And I think if you can get a good role player in this draft, in the mid first round, um, you take it. Unless of course there's somebody else on the board that you're just completely in love with. I I just see a, a really high floor. Um, and maybe a low ceiling, but somebody I could just count on to to add value um, in in ways that don't show up in the box score. Be a good locker room guy. Uh, I know I'm using all the the cliche buzzwords, but um, you are you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, he just he just he's just somebody I want to bet on. Um, let's move on to one more guy uh, before I let you go. Um, Dylan Windler. I'm hearing he's he's locking himself into the first round um, somewhere in the twenties. Um, I, I'm not sure about him. I, I like I'm, his numbers are, are really good. Um, 68% true shooting percentage, 42% from three. He was over 60% inside the arc, 85% from the line. Just a really efficient player. Plays a little bit hunched over. I, I mean, the eye test doesn't scream NBA player, but he's so effective at the college level. And maybe with the right team, they can kind of optimize him. Um, what do you think about Windler? Um, yeah, it does sound like he may sneak into that first round. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't love him. I didn't love him during the season. I get, again, it's like, like I said earlier, it's just the shooting factor is at such a premium that, and there's not that many great shooters in the draft. So it's like, you know, you maybe you're going to just see if that's going to work and I get it. Um, you know, but with, with him, it's like, I think one thing to keep in mind too, is just Belmont runs such a great mm-hmm. system. Um, and I think that, that he's many, definitely had benefits from some of that. You know, obviously they're not playing great competition. He didn't always play well against good competition. Um, you know, I think that usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, and like, I know he had a really good pro day and looked good uh, as well. I heard from, you know, a couple of teams. So, you know, like, I, I think he's fairly going to squarely in between 25 and 35. And um, But yeah, I mean, he's not a guy who I would love, but if it's a specific team where the fit makes sense. One more guy, because I think, I think a lot of guys are, are split on this, on this player, Bruno Fernando. I talked to an exec who had him top 10 and I talked to others who had him in the thirties. Uh, I kind of put him somewhere in between, even though he's not really a, a new school big and, and on paper, again, he doesn't have any real upside as a big guy who doesn't really stretch the floor, but you know, maybe he could be that Montrezl Harrell, Harrell guy um, from the Clippers who could just be a beast inside and bring that energy where you stand on Bruno. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just think he's going to be a backup center. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I think it's pretty clear you can do that. I don't think it's like that crazy of an ask. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would probably do it in twenties. I mean, I think it, it's more likely he's going to end up on the cusp of the first round now, which is fine. Uh, and again, it's just I think there's so many bigs, and you've seen, you know, you see them kind of fall behind, uh, you know, like the Claxton, like Nick Claxton, like Kevin Gelly, and those are guys who have a little bit more intrigue. Yeah, from a skill perspective, like Bruno doesn't have like one elite thing, but he he, he was productive this season. I think the motor is a probably a positive thing. And, you know, when you're that big and strong and you consistently play hard, I mean, things tend to work out. Right. And so, no, I, I mean, I, it's just, it's not a sexy pick. Um, but, you know, I think that there's some ability there for sure. Uh, I don't think Maryland always uses their guys in the best way. Like, you know, you've seen guys, you know, with a little bit more to them. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. He, he, I, I probably liked him more coming into the season. Uh, you know, the more I've sort of, 
paying attention to him, you know, the more he's kind of in the middle, I would say, yeah, you know, he's whatever, but if someone takes him in the late twenties, it's fine. I mean, you're probably going to get an NBA player. All right. My third last question of the day. Are you buying into Nick Claxton's rise? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, and I understand why. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be good enough to justify it, but I mean, I, I think I would be willing to do it in the teens. I mean, if you just look at, you know, if we're, we're going to talk about a guy as a project, which is probably what he is. I mean, there are not a lot of guys his size who can legitimately handle the ball. And I think that's what he's begun to convince teams in, in these workouts is that, you know, he can be sort of a ball handling four. Um, like, again, it's like these these are sort of trendy things. And if you look at like Siakam, what he's done, uh, you know, I think people think, you know, maybe Claxton in a couple of years and if he beefs up and, you know, he can do a little bit of face up slashing type stuff. I mean, it's not a terrible, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be that good, but it's not a terrible idea. Right. And, you know, to me, that's kind of what the sell is, uh, that, you know, there's enough there, enough of a skill package in a guy that size that we try it. And, you know, for, for me, that's good enough in this, in this draft to do it in the teens. I think I have him like 18 or 19 or something. Wow. Yeah, that's um, So, I, yeah, I buy it for sure. Just the idea. I, yeah, same thing. I, I like the idea of him, like a guy like – he could be like Kevon Looney and, and play center and guard multiple positions and then just um, play that supporting role offensively and take what the defense – gives him and he did flash some, you know, intriguing offensive versatility with the face of game. But uh, yeah, he's another interesting guy who's really risen up the board during this pre-draft process. Anyway, uh, Jeremy Wu, thanks for joining me today. And um, guys go follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Wu, uh, follow his draft coverage. Uh, um, got anything that you want to plug before I let you go? Uh, just, you know, check out SI.com and we have, you know, mocks and I keep updating this mock and, you know, like the, Big board is now final or whatever, and you know it's fun. I don't want to overhype it, but it's it's a fun week for the draft, and uh, you know it's it's all there. So. Yep, I just wanted to uh, to get here already <laughs> so we could stop talking about yeah. this nonsense. But anyway, uh, Jeremy Wu, thanks again, um, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. What's up, Blue Wire listeners? This is Jack from the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. We recently ranked as the number one sports podcast on all of iTunes, all of Apple. We cover all things from the NBA draft, from NBA free agency. We're working on MLB this summer, as well as the NFL offseason. Catch me and my co-host Abe on the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod, a part of the wonderful Blue Wire Podcast Network. All right, now that Jay Wu is gone, I figured I'd stick around for a little bit for a solo mock draft uh, heading into the day before the draft. And obviously we got Zion at one. I think Memphis sticks to their guns with John Morant at number two, gives them that explosive playmaker who's eventually going to have to replace Mike Conley, who may be moved as we speak, or, or at least uh, around draft time. So I expect Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. to be the two cornerstones moving forward for Memphis. I know the Knicks worked out Darius Garland. However, I expect this pick to be R.J. Barrett and just a simple case of due diligence right before the draft with Garland and probably Garland's camp really pushed for that workout. I assume A, to maybe hopefully convince the Knicks to take him. But more importantly, I think to try and build more interest um, in Garland and, and try and get teams to move up for him and just show that there's a lot of buzz, a lot of, a lot of interest uh, in him as high as number three overall, even if that's not really the case. So uh, the top three stays the same for me. 
at number four, you know, it's difficult to say. I think the Hawks wind up making a move to number four. I think that makes so much sense. And they would take a guy like Jared Culver. So at this point, I have Culver at number four. And if the Pelicans did stay, I think Culver makes more sense than Darius Garland, particularly with Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday there. At least Culver has that 6'6 size. You can play him at small ball three in New Orleans. At number five for Cleveland, I think at this point, I'm sticking with Darius Garland at number five. Whether Cleveland sticks or not, it seems like if Garland is there at five, Cleveland's going to get a lot of offers that they're going to have to entertain. And even if they don't, um, they could take Garland as the best player available. They did see him work out recently. And in workouts, he's probably very impressive because of his shot-making ability. He is an excellent shooter off the cast and dribble. So I think those are the top five guys. Four and five could be flip-flop depending on who's picking where. At number six, I'd expect Kobe White to go to Phoenix. They could use another guard. He's in the mix for best player available. He's versatile enough to let Devin Booker continue to be an initiator where White can play off the ball. So I think Kobe White is the pick at number six. At number seven, I think the Chicago Bulls are going between DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. At this point, it seems that there's a little more trustworthiness in DeAndre Hunter. So I'm going to say that's who they're going to pick, though. If they did took Reddish, I wouldn't be shocked. But for now, I have Hunter at number seven. That leaves Cam Reddish as the best player available for me at number eight, whether it's the New Orleans Pelicans picking and the trade down situation or the Atlanta Hawks. Cam Reddish would be a perfect fit in Atlanta. At number nine is the tough call, Washington Wizards. Uh, at this point, I'm being risky and going off Intel. And I know that Nazir Little had a monster workout there yesterday. And there are not a lot of obvious choices for the Wizards at number nine. Of course, they'd love to trade up, but they don't have the pieces to do so. And Bradley Beal is too good uh, to get to number four overall. I think if you move Bradley Beal, the only thing you want back is the number one pick, and that's not going to happen. So at this point, I have tentatively ha- tentatively have Nazir Little at number nine. That could be Siku Dimboya from France um, any minute. But at this point, I'm going to stick with Little at number nine as the surprise reach of the top 10. At number 10, I have Jackson Hayes. He'd be a perfect fit for Atlanta as a defensive rim protector anchor next to John Collins. I also think he'd be a nice fit in New Orleans um, as a starting center next to Zion at the four, or you could bring him off the bench. Hayes is a big-time athlete for for a guy his size who runs the floor and gives you those easy baskets. He protects the rim. Reminds me a lot of Mitchell Robinson. At number 11, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I think they take Siku Dimboya. Um, and if Siku Dimboya goes number nine to Washington, I think Minnesota will wind up taking Nazir Little uh, or Rui Hachimura, who at this point I have going number 12 to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Rui would give them an exciting scoring option at that power forward spot. They really don't generate much offense. Number 13, Miami Heat could also look at Hachimura, but if he's gone, I'd look for them to go with Romeo Lankford from Indiana. He gives them a, an exciting scoring two guard uh, with some with some upside, particularly if he can add that three ball and Romeo was injured, um, his thumb throughout the season. That could have impacted his 27% three-point shooting. So they could look at this as a good buy-low opportunity. Number 14, I have the Boston Celtics taking Tyler Hero. One of the best shooters in the draft, me and Jeremy talked about. The Celtics may not be picking here. They have three picks. I imagine that they don't want to add three rookies to this roster. So it'll be interesting to see who is picking at number 14. But if they do stick, 
I think Hero gives them uh, a, a shooter that they could use off the ball at that two-guard spot. Detroit Pistons at number 15. Right now, I'm taking P.J. Washington. They just need to take the best player available. I know they already have two bigs, but at number 15, you're just looking to get uh, a good rotation player, and I think right now Washington may separate himself from the other guys left on the board. Uh, plus, Detroit could use some front court depth and maybe some insurance if they do decide that they want to move on from their two bigs and Blake Griffin and Drummond. I think Washington could play multiple front court spots. Number 16, I have Keldon Johnson going to the Orlando Magic. Uh, this pick could also be Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I think Orlando really finally takes guard here. Uh, Johnson seems to be helping himself during the pre-draft process. He got invited to the green room. Uh, strong athlete, puts a lot of pressure on defenses with his driving. Good spot-up shooter, competes defensively, but really needs to improve as a shot creator. I have him a lot lower on my big board, but teams seem to be higher than him than me. Number 17 with the Hawks' third pick in the top 20. Again, it'll be tough to say if they pick this, make this pick, but I have them taking Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. If they do stick, Clark is another excellent defensive player, adds rim protection, high-energy guy, uh, and also almost 23 years old, so he should be ready to contribute right away. Just playing to his strengths as an athlete, as a guy who reacts really well off the ball. Number 18, I have Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech, a combo guard. They could use some insurance in case Victor Oladipo isn't the same player uh, coming off the severe Injury, Alexander Walker had a big bounce back season this year, improved as a playmaker, uh, shot well again from downtown, needs to get stronger, doesn't take contact very well, but a, a true combo guard, 6'5", could play on or off the ball uh, and give you some secondary playmaking or spot up shooting at number 19, San Antonio Spurs. I have him taking Goga Badazi, who I have him as my number six overall prospect. Teams don't seem to be as in love with him as I do. 6'11", turned into a really promising uh, believable shooter. I, I really buy into his shooting stroke. Uh, was a very productive player in EuroLeague, the EuroLeague Rising Star winner and MVP of both the Serbian League and the Adriatic League. He's really made a transformation. I, I love his trajectory. I think he's one of the best value picks of this draft. And at number 20, Boston Celtics. Again, they may not be picking here with their third first round pick, but Bull Bull, I think at this point, the potential reward is worth the risk tied to his durability and injury concerns. 7-2 guy with a really good-looking jump shot. Uh, impressive scoring fluidity out of the post. Can actually pull up off the dribble and handle the ball. And obviously with a 7-7 wingspan, he'll give you easy buckets and block shots, but needs to improve his defensive toughness and sense of urgency. At number 21, Oklahoma City Thunder. I've been taking Cam Johnson from North Carolina, one of the most NBA-ready guys, just because of his shot-making. Shot 45% from three this year, 6-9 really mature kid, uh, and it's just an efficient score off the ball. I think they could use some some wing like that. Boston Celtics, number 22, uh, Fiondu Cabangeli. I think he, he's an upside guy. He's probably a project, needs to improve his feel for the game. But 6'10", 250, shot 24 of 65 from behind the arc this year, around 76% from the line, good touch, made a nice jump this year. ACC, sixth man of the year, brings good energy. Utah Jazz, number 23, I'm going with Bruno Fernando from Maryland. They could use another big guy to take some uh, some pressure off Rudy Gobert, who plays heavy minutes. Fernando, a high-energy, strong player around the basket. Uh, gives you easy baskets, gives you rebounding, second-chance points, uh, and just a, a another high-energy, vocal, um, competitive player. 
24, I think, is, is a surprise pick. Dylan Windler from from Belmont going to the Philadelphia 76ers. I think he's the perfect player to put in the lineup that already has stars. Windler ranked in the 99th percentile in half-court offense this year, one of the best off-ball scores as a spot-up shooter and a cutter. At number 25 overall, Portland Trailblazers. I think they go with Luka Samanich from Croatia. Had a really strong NBA combine. The East concerns over the fact that he didn't play too much during the year. Uh, overseas and his impact fluctuated, but he made an impression during FIBA tournaments. Uh, he was the best player during scrimmages during Thursday's combine to the point where he just shut it down Friday because he probably solidified a spot in the first round. Uh, 6'10", strong around the basket, can shoot threes and put the ball down. Modern day fit for a power forward. At 26, I think Kevin Porter finally gets the nod to the Cleveland Cavaliers. At this point, he's just too talented to pass up regardless of the maturity concerns. He's number 14 on my board, so I think this is good value. I think some of those concerns are overblown. 6'6", over 200 pounds, long arms, uh, one of the best shot creators in the class. Reminds me a little bit of Kelly Oubre, who I think if he can get this late is good value. At number 27, Brooklyn Nets. I have him taking KZ Akpala from Stanford. 6'9", face-up score. uh, Improved as a shooter this year, 1-3 per game, but still needs to improve that shooting range needs to improve his shot creation. I think teams like the idea of Akpala being a 6'9 face-up guy uh, and a potential mismatch, but he, he's he got to be more polished uh, to add something at the NBA level. So he'd be a project for Brooklyn. Number 28 uh, for the Golden State Warriors, Matisse Thybul. Thybul has a promise from somebody. Maybe it was the Warriors who don't have time to work out players. Well, that's not really true. They were in the playoffs, but they still uh, keep their eye on guys. And I think he just makes sense as a 3 and D guy, uh, who could play a solid role with stars around him, even without KD um, and Clay, they still have some good players around him. Uh, mature kid, 23 years old, I believe, or almost 23. So uh, I think he's a good fit for a playoff team. At 29, Darius Baisley, skipped Syracuse, skipped the G League, spent the year training just like Mitchell Robinson did last year. Uh, there's a lot of intrigue tied to his upside. Just turned 19 years old, 6'9", uh, plays multiple positions on offense as a 3 or a four, can get to the basket off the dribble, can create shots, uh, can knock down open jumpers, doesn't have any one specialty skill right now. But again, you're betting on his long-term upside three years from now and this late. I think for the Spurs, it's worth uh, taking a project at, at one of the forward spots. And at number 30, the last pick of the first round for me, Nick Claxton from Georgia. Me and Jeremy Wu talked about him as one of the biggest risers during the pre-draft process. He kind of reminds me in terms of the idea of him, Kevon Looney. Guy guards multiple positions, switches on to anybody. Offensively, he doesn't offer too much right now, but uh, near seven foot, gives you the easy baskets around the hoop, can make open jump shots can attack in space, but really not overly polished offensively. Probably somebody you're going to count on uh, to emerge as a contributor as a sophomore. Those are my top 30 picks heading into Wednesday, the day before the draft. Of course, a lot can change over the last 24 hours, but uh, that's what I got for you one day ahead of the 2019 draft. It should be an interesting one.